shine with the brightest light. And now you shine upon the cute them flight. Cause we day as of the truth and right. Day as of the truth and right. And until the day that my soul takes flight. Babylon will hear my voice. Cause we day as of the truth and right. Alright, right, so welcome everyone, right, Zian, to the next episode of Checkmate, a political podcast by Tenement Yard Media. Um, you guys can also check out Let's See You Forget, right? Our historical podcast. Yeah, so that, that that's the introduction that we're going with today. Right? I'm Davy, and um as you hear, as you have seen from the, the graphic for this episode, um scamming in Jamaica, the rise and the rise and dominance of scamming in Jamaica. We're going to go into scamming, right? And um for us, we really want to get it from an expert. So you know everybody go watch the Nat Geo um documentary, what it was in December, November. I don't remember, but at some part last year. And they never really me personally never feel like the one do it justice. I don't know about everybody else. Like I don't know what was that like. I don't know, really. So, you know, we're searching with an expert. We're searching with an expert, someone who has done a lot of work um um in about scamming and um what scamming entails and the, the intricacies of scamming. Plus he's Jamaican. So uh, that'll make it better. You know, that one of your own. <laughs> that make it so much better, right? Cause the woman did just last. Like the whole time I was watching this thing. I'm like, there. So, you know, this was great. And I, I think he's a Monte, Montego he's from Montego Bay. Montegonian is the word. That's the word. That's the word. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> right? So yeah. Um, yeah, so as you can hear, my guest today is Dr. Jovan Scott Lewis. Um, I'm a huge fan, right? So guys. <laughs> If you you know when I'm excited, I get flustered a lot, right? If this is your first time listening to it, I'm David. I really do get flustered a lot. I'm going to be very flustered, right? Through this whole thing. Because I've read his work like twice and I was absolutely amazed. It's one of the most authentic representation of scamming and Jamaica experience in a very long while that I've read. Yeah, wow. in my very short years. Um, so yeah. So I'm just going to introduce that. Dr. Lewis, and just go into his bio so you guys can know who he is. And he's going to speak in depth about scamming. So, um, all right. English, English, English. All right. So, Dr. Jovan Scott Lewis is an assistant professor of geography at the University of California, Berkeley. Um, the post colonial formality of the Caribbean and diaspora are his primary research. Um, for that reason, his most famous research, I guess, focuses on the experiences and articulations of everyday individual subjectivity, the circumstances of state economic underdevelopment and racial ethnic notions produced by the comprehensive condition of impoverishment. So I'm getting poverty. Poverty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, his work has looked at the questions of suffering as economic ontology, post-colonial repair, and novel terms of reparation, and currently the alternatives to geographic imaginaries of freedom. So, like anthropology and human geography, and um, yeah, just all of those stuff. Um, yeah. Um, he's also the author of Schemazia, the Crime of Black Repair in Jamaica. Amazing book. Amazing book. We'll still get into that, right? That job last year. We'll still get into that, right? So, yeah, Dr. Scott Lewis, <laughs> welcome to the yard. Um, yeah, just say, introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Yeah, David, give thanks. It's really a pleasure to be in conversation with you. And I just really appreciate and 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 just love the support, you know, and the interest in the work. And I really do feel embarrassed by all of those words in the bio. Um, you know, to put it simply, um, my work is interested in the question of sufferation, right? It's a term that our people, I think, have coined. It is a very unique experience and conceptualization of of the circumstance and the condition of poverty and racialized poverty that comes out of a kind of colonial history. Um, and that's what guides the work. And I think that that experience is actually quite, um, you know, universal to understanding what we might consider, you know, the kind of global experience of, of inequality. Yeah, you, we can we can we can forego all of the extra words in the bio. Um, you know, so poverty, sufferation, but specifically, you know, how sufferation actually helps us to understand the world. You know. All right, got you. And all right. So before we even start the episode, just backstory. You your your academic background is anthropology, right? Yeah. Yeah. That I call it the the the, the um the, the the much more pretty um sociology. And distinguishing it between the two. Um but yeah. and you grew up you grew up in Montego Bay. Yeah, so from Montego from Montego Bay, the anthropology thing came in. Um went to university in Miami. Um and then I went to I went to grad school in the UK, um okay. in London. Yeah. And I did the yeah. PhD, I did my PhD in anthropology in the UK and then you know um I got a job at Berkeley and it was a great opportunity and you know um the job was in geography and you know I didn't do geography necessarily as a as a as a subject um but human geography and anthropology um have you know so many things in common that mm-hmm. it was it made a lot of sense and it's been a really productive kind of discipline to kind of think about some of the work and some of the questions that I'm that I'm that I'm pursuing um but but yeah so yeah. anthropology the prettier sociology okay <laughs> i remember you said one time i don't i don't remember where was the conversation and you said um uh, you were at some point at 18 you were just planning to go to some hill and make brooms I don't know where, Wait, where did I say that listen <laughs> listen they send me listen, they, we have a research you, team here. you really have research wow listen, we have a research well, team here well yeah you know so I came up I came up um, and came out of age as a boba youth right so Rastafari is my my tradition you know my background Mm-hmm. Um and I spent my years, you know, as Boba Shanti, my teenage years, you know, as Boba Shanti, and you know the whole idea of you know going up to Boba Hill and making brooms and living a humble, simple life was very appealing to me, you know. So yeah, that was the idea. Um, oh, but still with the same kind of political motivation of just kind of like working for the people, helping to kind of understand, you know, our circumstances. So. Um, yeah, you know, in another interview I did some weeks ago, um, you know, a friend, an, a friend, um, the, the host, who's also a friend, asked me about my intellectual traditions, you know, in the kind of normative academic, mm-hmm. academic way. And I said, listen, you know, my, my academic and intellectual tradition is Rastafari, simple as that, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, you know, it's a poor people worldview, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's all that you really need. Everything else is, is supplementary. You know, so the subjects, you know, the the, the the quote unquote big thinkers that are almost always European, 
you know, th- those are only supplementary to the kind of foundational understanding and reasoning that we get from our from our from our backgrounds and our culture. You know, so. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Well, really do your <laughs> research. Okay. Listen, <laughs> know more things about me than me. All right. So, um, yeah. So, that, that's all. I just thought his background was like really interesting to like, yeah, you know, give thanks, give space to talk about it. So, we're going to go into scamming, right? And, you know, a lot of Jamaicans really, we know scamming, but I think all you know the one dimension side of scamming. So, right. just, just, start the, the episode can you just describe in the best details that you can lottery scamming like what separates lottery scamming from say like um the scamming that takes part in nigeria right. and other parts of the world so like specific jamaica lottery scamming right um so you know there are a lot of similarities between between you know, say the 419 scamming in Nigeria or the Sakawa scamming that happens in, in Ghana and, and what was then called like the, you know, the 876 scam um, in the early days of lottery scamming, uh, which later then became called like the lotto scam. Um, in that basically, you know, these three types of scams, if you will, are really using the apparatuses of our internet age, you know, meaning digital digital infrastructures and of, of communications, uh, to kind of reach a, a kind of market, if you will, or a target market that beforehand would be impossible. Um, you know, what makes lottery scamming in Jamaica unique is that um, where the 419 scam and the Sokawa scam, you know, in West Africa emerged out of the development of the, uh, what we would, you know, call the, you know, some people nowadays don't remember that these things once existed, but the internet cafes, right? Uh, when internet cafes started popping up across what we call the developing world, you know, fairly quickly, people started realizing that there are ways to manipulate, you know, this, this, this kind of form of communication you know, for for their personal uh, financial advantage, right? In other words, scamming. Now in Jamaica, you know, there there was something kind of similar to that, which was made possible with the post two thousand liberalization of the telecommunications sector in Jamaica. Meaning, uh, maybe you remember a time before uh, Digicel, but there was a time before Digicel. Right, no, I'm, and, and, I'm, I'm way young. Did you say yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, so there was cable and wireless, and really only cable and wireless, right? Um, yeah, you know, oh, never Mm-mm, young, right? Oh, wow, okay, oh boy, okay, I'm well, my age right how here. I feel, I'm oh, yeah, no, you know, I'm feeling my age, that's the problem. Um, so you know, what happened is that there is, you know, there, there is a monopolization on Jamaican telecommunications, meaning telephone you know, any kind of the, the kind of early stage of internet at the time. And, you know, the market opens up or the sector opens up to, you know, provide some kind of, you know, market variety and competition, but also for the purpose of helping to uh, further build out the telecommunications infrastructure in Jamaica. And this is done for the purpose of attracting, you know, uh, what we call business process outsourcing um, companies to the island right what i mean by that data processing centers call centers this kind of thing right so my brain is just going call centers 
call centers, right? Call yeah. centers. But it's important to know that Jamaica and Montego Bay specifically, you know, Freeport has long been one of these, what they call a special economic zone. So Freeport as a special economic zone has been around for, you know, for quite some while, uh, some time. Um, and then what you have is later on the kind of attraction of call centers, um, you know, and other kind of data processing centers, you know, to the, the, the to, you know, to Freeport, uh, which is a free zone in, um, in, um, in Montego Bay. So what happens is like scamming now, you know, we can think of it as actually quite an old practice, you know, especially if you can't remember cable and wireless, scamming has really been around since 2007, right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about nearly 14 years, 13, 14 years that we've had this thing called, called you know, or, or the practice at least of scamming. You know, so the view is that it starts in this, in you know, out of these call centers, and this is a formal, this is the formal kind of perspective, um, you know, from the kind of you know Jamaican government and the constabulary force and so forth, right? Now you can imagine that there are uh, job opportunities in this, and this is my personal kind of like political take on the matter as to why scamming comes out of the call centers. You know, one view is that there's this kind of conspiratorial kind of like high, high level white collar crime. You know, there are, there have been claims before that scamming emerges out of a certain kind of political or elite class uh, in, in Jamaica. And I won't really go into that because I don't personally have any, any any evidence of that fact. Right. But what we can see is that and this is based upon my own you know, primary research with people who have worked in call centers and then turned to scamming is that there's access to, to, you know, customer or client data information, you know, people's names, date of birth, addresses, and so forth, that provided what we call the kind of foundation of the lead list business within lottery scanning, meaning the selling of personal data. Again, mm-hmm. names, telephone numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so what we know as lead sheet. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so so these lead lists now begin to circulate and, and begin to be sold. And what happens is that a variety of, of, of people start calling them and come up with a variety of, of different scenarios, right, to kind of con people. Oh, you've won a Mercedes this or, you know, you've won this kind of money. And you know when I when I went when I went to Jamaica to start my research in 2011, this was you know a fairly common practice where you would see people you know um, on the phone, right, out in the street talking to people. In fact, I remember this is how I first kind of encountered um, my first scammer, so to speak, that I was, you know, I was back home in my bay and I was, you know, sitting on the veranda with my grand aunt and, you know, there was a guy walking, you know, in front of the yard on the street and he sounded weird. You know, he sounded nasally. He had a very strange accent. And I said to my aunt, I said, you know, what's going on? Why does that guy sound that way? And he said, oh, my dear, he's just one of them scammer them from up the road. I was like, oh, okay. You know, so you can see the kind of casualness, right? The, you know, and, and you would see that people, because of Digicel, because of this ability where you could buy the international uh, plan for your phone, right? Or you can buy the international um, top-up card where you can call foreign for fairly cheap. People, right, in a, in a very open way, were trying to just scam, 
right? Over time, this became um, more of a formalized process where you had crews developed and these crews became slightly more international, meaning they had links and, and they had partners based in the United States. Um, you know, and, and so what we see is that it became effectively a kind of cottage industry by which through the telecommunications industry's uh, liberalization, meaning opening up, right, creating this competition which brought the price and the cost of internet down, right, where people could get internet on their phones, right, or before that with Digicel's top-up cards, people could call far and fairly cheap. And this is why the scam was called the 876 scam at first, because people were calling directly from their mobiles in Jamaica. So the 876 area code would come up. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was also an advantage, right? Because 876 would look like to an unsuspecting victim like any other 800 number in the United uh, States, which are typically uh, business uh, numbers, right? So you're calling uh, a business, typically there's a 1-800 or a 1-888 number or something like that. And so that was part of the reason why some of the earlier scammers who were calling directly from their mobiles were successful because of the area code. Um, but after that point, right, with the increase of, of, of cellular, cellular um, internet and then slightly later on the kind of growth of in-home Wi-Fi um, and the development of, the, of, of apps, right, you began to see, you know, a kind of explosion on the, on the ways that people could contact, you know, uh, these victims, right, or the way that people could utilize the names on the lead list. Um, and we can't, you know, we can't over overlook the importance of what we call, uh, what we call, what was, you know, I don't know if it's still around in the same way as a device, but the magic jack. Yes, right? no, so, yeah, no, what? <laughs> yeah. Mag what? Yeah. You know the magic jack? No. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. No. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the magic jack was a device, right? Um, where you would plug it into your um, computer and then connect, right, like via USB, and then you would connect your, your modem to the device, connecting your computer. And what it would allow you to do is it would give you a, an American number. You could get an American number from any area code in the United States and Canada, actually. Right. So what would happen is that when you moved out, what would happen is that as a scam developed, it moved away from the 876 because Magic Jack started showing up in the country. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is a Magic Jack now, if a scammer had a Magic Jack, they could rather than having an 876 number, if they wanted to kind of target somebody, um, say, in Chicago, Illinois, they could then choose right an area code that was Chicago, Illinois. Right, or if they wanted to contact and try and scam people, or sound or seem as if they were based, say, in Miami, right? Then they could choose a three zero five area code, for example. So what that enabled was a obscuring of 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 the location, right, of where the calls were coming from, and that's another reason why it's different from the 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 kind of Ghanaian and Nigerian scams, right? Mm. Because what we know about the four one nine scams, especially in Nigeria is that it's always some kind of prince or a general or somebody, you know, writing, you know, an email saying, oh, dear sir or madam, I am a prince in wherever. And, you know, I have to get my money out of my account, but I need your help to do so, right? Mm -hmm. What happens very early in the Jamaican scam is that 
rather than identifying the location of where the calls were coming from, Jamaican lottery scammers quickly began to obscure, right? It began to obscure where they were from. And as the Magic Jack actually de developed its features, what they later on developed where they actually allowed you to have uh, what we would call business numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than choosing an area code from a specific city, you could have a legitimate 1-800 number. And so some scammers would start selecting that 1-800 number to kind of develop a kind of legitimacy, right, behind behind the scam. And so what this what these internet apparatuses, right, allowed for was a kind of development of the scam where it went away from or evolved away from necessarily being, oh, hello, I'm, you know, I am, you know, so-and-so and you've won a car. Instead, what became possible is, hello, I'm calling from, you know, the Bank of Oklahoma, right? And guess what? It seems that we've been charging you too much for your credit interest rate for the past five years, and we owe you a refund. So you see how this is able to kind of, you know, develop in, in, in terms of sophistication and complexity. The other thing, of course, in terms of the internet um, is the, is the you know, what we know as the kind of Google Maps, right? Where mm -hmm. scammers in Jamaica could look up somebody's address and familiarize themselves with the geography of where their victims were, right? So depending on what the approach was, if they were, say, wanting to take an informal approach, like, oh, hi, Mary, this is June. I met you, um, I don't know if you remember, but you and I met, uh, you know, two months ago at the Walmart on the intersection of this and that street because they see that there's a Walmart near Mary's house, right? So they're able to kind of create a variety of scenarios, right? That is, yeah. that is actually much more realistic, Mm -hmm. and and less sensational um mm -hmm. and fan and and fantastical than the kind of nigerian like the nigerian 419 scam right um and so that's a part of the you know sorry for the very long answer but that's no, one the of answer. the critical ways how the jamaican lottery scam is is different than right. than say yeah. the nigerian 419 scam all right, so you're basically going to answer three questions in one. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> to the next one. All right, so, all right, so in your book, um, all right, so, all right, before I even get into the book, the, the way I was introduced to scamming, so my brain and the way my brain works, right, and right. I think this is based on academics, isn't it? It's not academics, just based on the way my brain works, really. Scamming scammers as always seem like street capitalists to me, mm -hmm. and I, I wouldn't. I, I it's it's like I, in the beginning stage, I wasn't mad at it. You get me a chair for say because mm -hmm. right. quote a popular song, them now bust no go, them now start no war. Which we should right. get into a popular song, Wait, right? No, right. Right. Going, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like in Jamaica, we know how Jamaica the the evolution of like promises of out of many one people after independence and that was never fulfilled that um black bodies in this country could gain wealth and actually live because the majority of jamaicans just survive right and that mm -hmm. promise was just never there so it's like you have to find some kind of way to support yourself and not even support yourself but to achieve this kind of wealth that every that every jamaican attained to the host on the hill and the care and you know mm -hmm. the things that you grew up seeing right so there's always that thing. And it's like, the way it seems is it's the poor 
the extreme poor persons in Jamaica who 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 are enticed by scamming. And I just want to get your your academic perspective and research on the relationship between poverty and and scamming because I I really do hate saying street capitalists. I really do right. hate. But, <laughs> but but what's the relationship between both um entities? Poverty and scamming, that is. Poverty and scamming. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, you, you did such a wonderful job of helping to kind of contextualize what we might call a kind of ethic behind the scam. You know, the desire the desire to kind of want, you know, to, to want, right? Um you know, there's a there's a term for it. I mean, you know, one of my one of my most favorite people um, Deborah Thomas in her in her work um, from from 2004 Modern Blackness, which really does trace some of this development from early on, you know, called it the kind of conspicuous consumption, right? That kind of marked what we might consider the kind of post independence um, and structural adjustment. So the kind of neoliberal moment post independence. Um, that really happens a decade after independence, if we're if we're honest. Um, but it's marked by that feature, right? It's marked by a kind of realization of the limits, right? Of the kind of promise of political power, right? Which independence was supposed to kind of bring about. And there was some work in terms of doing that early on in, in the, you know, in those first decades, right, of independence, yeah. or in the first decade, not decade, the first decade of independence, right, where we saw, you know, the kind of the increase in, in, in kind of universal access to healthcare and education and these kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and we saw the development, you know, Don Robertson talks about the development of a kind of black middle class um, facilitated by the kind of growth of the civil service in Jamaica, you know, post-independence and that kind of thing. And so for a moment there, it looked like things were headed in the right direction, if you will. Um, you know, but from the late 70s, early 80s, and I'm not going to, you know, I don't know where people al- people's alignments are, so I'm not going to cast aspersions on any particular party, right? But what we see is from that moment, right, there is a foreclosure of that in terms of there is political representation, so to speak, right? Um, but there isn't necessarily that representation being facilitated or fulfilled through, you know, what we might call the kind of economic prospects for most Jamaican people. And so what that creates is a is a realization that, you know, politics become part of the kind of practice and the ritual of Jamaican life, but they they no longer are are there to necessarily facilitate right one's aspirations or ambitions and so jamaicans start turning to uh, you know to other to other things like migration for example or a different kind of circuit of migration um mm-hmm. to to newer places like toronto and miami and so forth and no longer to the uk right so they shift their gaze to a different kind of geography of opportunity um and so you know the scammers the scammers at least the ones that i work with or worked with you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Um, and when I said worked with, I wasn't scamming, you know, I mean, just meaning like, you know, I don't like to say I study people, you know what I mean? So, so the kind Omar of Omar Young and Junior who are, yeah, there. yeah, Omar, Dwayne and Junior. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, you know, but what I mean is the people who, who share their, their stories and their experiences with me, that's what I call the, the, the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they come up, you know, they, and they come of age, right? With what we call the kind of like limited horizon of opportunity. 
and so it's just about finding you know finding uh you know a, 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 an opportunity you know getting a bus wherever it's wherever it's available and so as i said before you know the the kind of turn towards the call centers as a form of industry that is meant to provide opportunities to jamaicans especially in on the north coast especially in st james especially in montego bay where tourism is everything right um it's quickly realized that even that isn't going to provide you know for the kind of opportunities that they're hoping for you know so for example you work in a call center for a company like amazon and you're getting basically one us dollar per hour right what does that do after you pay for the taxi to get to to work after you you know pay school fees after you buy food right you know it does very little and so the relationship between poverty and scamming is 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 really a kind of universal one in which one will find opportunity where it exists right and and earlier you said you know like you weren't mad at it right and and it's important to note that that was the view right that was almost the the general approach or 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 understanding or reception of scamming when it first started was that yeah it's really not criminal right it is people you know trying to find an opportunity trying to make life making a way for themselves um but it's important to note that the relationship is a structural one right mm-hmm. so you have jamaica being really caught in the kind of crucible of of neoliberal post structural adjustment um um uh poverty right the mm-hmm. the country the country you know post post the signing of the first imf agreement in the in the late 1970s right becomes becomes caught up in um you know the, the kind of worst economy. end of a relationship with the global mm-hmm. economy mm-hmm. you know um and and so what you have uh, you know you could read Michael Manley's um struggle in the periphery you can read all kinds of things yeah, you know read yeah, Norman yeah. Garvan you can read all of that and they tell you they tell you like yeah you know there's a dependency model of mm-hmm. of of political economy in Jamaica um which is no different than the the kind of former colonial structure by which Jamaica is a site of extraction right for metropolitan um capitalism where before the metropole consisted of you know great britain but later on it expands to the general sense of the global north whether it's the uk and it's and it's north america whether we're talking about the united states um or canada and so scamming is most simply an opportunity within that context um you know there is another component to that and I'll and I'll say this in terms of representing the view right so that's my view right mm-hmm. um but then trying to provide a sense of the view from the scammers themselves you know their perspective was listen this is how you make money period right you know capitalism is a crime right jamaica the the people who are wealthy in jamaica are wealthy because they are doing something you know something that isn't necessarily purely legal More right mm-hmm. exactly you know so like bandul run run things regardless of where it is you know what i mean and mm-hmm. whomever you know and we can you know we can we can talk a lot about that we can talk about you know the various conspiracies about the 21 families in jamaica you know we could do all kinds we can have all kinds of conversations um but for the scammers the understanding was that listen this is how money is made you know for example 
can you call it really can you can you call it you know it's it's legal but is it not illicit that a company can come in to Jamaica pay local workers little or nothing and also pay no tax mm-hmm. right like there's something inherently criminal about that mm-hmm. and this is what the scammers were reading and so for them uh, and this goes back to the earlier statement about what happens ethically post post independence right there is a there is a kind of refusal of what we call the kind of like normative politics of respectability that says okay to get ahead in life you must do well in school in your subjects you must go to university you must come out and you get a job and there's a there's a there's a section of the book where i'm talking to one of the guys who used to work in a call center he says can you imagine look at me i had no subjects i didn't i didn't finish high school and yet when i was working in a call center i was working with people who had just come out of ue so can you imagine they do all of that and we end up in the same place mm-hmm. right yeah yeah <laughs> amazing really amazing explanation really um two things i would say um the struggle in the p word by michael Murray. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah great book um but i just yeah. I'm in the studio if you try for find it but just feel like because manly when you want to add pages cursing out um america's imperialist yeah. like in 2021 then they said as punishment the book are gonna be like 150 200 yeah. Yeah. yeah don't do it don't do it Talk about talk about criminality. I'm I'm so grateful that I have a copy. You know, it was a copy that I had. You know, kind of like you know, my aunt had a copy, and I and, and I took the copy. Information is so. way too expensive for you yeah. to pay two hundred dollars for one book. But we'll move. And yeah, as I said before, in the beginning stage, I mean, just you know, because I'm Gen Z, so I never hear about scam until like yeah, the whole cartel thing. Um, right. Really, it was like. Are uh, why who am I who am I to, to judge? You get me, and is like really who am I to judge right. when the system hasn't given you? You have limited opportunities to 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 live in Jamaica. Like who am I to judge you? So that was right. basically my initial stage. But we'll soon talk about my changing moments. Soon okay. talk about that. Yeah, my yeah my changing yeah. moments. All right. Yeah. So one of the things I also want to get into that I touch a bit in the book is, and I really appreciated this because as someone who does historical research i'm not hmm. a historian do historical research let's get there <laughs> right <laughs> a lot of jamaica and the way we talk about jamaica um social 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 sociology the way we talk about our history it's like it's heavily christianized not realizing yeah. how afrocentric a lot of our practices are right and yeah i understand the church i get it like i never grew up in a christian home but i understand the church i get it right but you really touch on the Afro-religious practices mm. and, and, and scamming, right? And you did make um alignment to the Sakawa in Ghana and how... Right. Yeah. So can you, like, a person having read the book, you know, I forgot too much in details, but like an introduction yeah. to yeah. that that came across in your fieldwork. Yeah, of course. And, and it's something that I didn't actually do enough of in the book. So I'm in the process of finishing an article that actually draws us out a bit more. So I'm happy to say a little bit about that as a kind of you know, a kind of introductory to, to, to what I'm hoping to publish sometime later this year as a, as a, as a journal article. Um, you know, but the, you know, the Afro-religious components to, let's talk about the Sakawa scam first in Ghana, right? So the, the kind of ritual component to 
the Sakawa scam is about influencing the victim, right? It's about saying, okay, let me do, you know, what in Jamaica we would call science, right? Let me do the science so that we can somehow manipulate the victim into giving us the money, right? And, you know, in Jamaica, in the lottery scam, as far as what are what have been relatively recent reports of like Obia and so forth among scammers, you know, it's 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 been part that, but it's also been a great deal uh, concerning the issue of security, right, of scammers themselves, right. In other words, the the rise of the practice of obia in scamming has 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 followed the increase in violence surrounding the practice of scamming, mm-hmm. and so both of those things weren't always there, right meaning the violence nor the obia were always a part of 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 the kind of the lottery scam practice in Jamaica and and, and perhaps that's going to come up in, in in a later part of the discussion where you talk about your kind of change of change of position or something um mm-hmm. but as far as within the scam itself you know and especially as I write about it uh, about it right there is um you know the one figure who we all know as Jamaicans that came across the Atlantic as a part of our folklore and, and tradition, and that is a Nancy, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, what I talk about as far as a kind of Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean uh, religious framework is this issue of a Nancy, you know, the kind of, the kind of, the trickster figure that comes out of Ghana, right? That is a major part and central to, to some of our folklore or the parts of our Africanist folklore that still exists um, in Jamaica. And, you know, the idea is about understanding how the world works, right? So if you go back and you read the Anansi tales, Anansi stories, right? Anansi was always trying to kind of find a way, right? Anansi was always manipulating those around him for his own personal benefit. Um, And this is exactly what the scammers do, right? And so in a way, this is somewhat separate from like an intentional and overt practice of like African rituals. But rather, this is a part of a kind of shared, you know, you know, Afro-Jamaican um, worldview, right? A part of our philosophy, our epistemology of the way the world works, right? So when we have when we have sayings like, you know, Tonya fashion, right? It's still a part of that same epistemology, right? Same, you know, it's it's similar to this idea of how can you how can you rethink the world in a way. To, to, to pull it towards your 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 vantage point or to make it opportune um, and that is really at the heart of the thing you know that we call bandulu right mm-hmm. so bandulu is not just being a con person right but it's about having a perspective about what a con means right and so it's about having chat and developing the kind of art around having chat right how can you convince somebody? And this is where, and so this is where the kind of Anansi thing comes in, right? This is how, if you go back and you reread the tales or you listen to the stories of Anansi, you see Anansi was always trapping people, um, you know, through his, uh, you know, through his speech, right? As the old saying goes, birds tangle by them feet, but man will tangle by his tongue, right? And so what it is, is it's, it's, it's about using, using the ability to con people through cunning and through guile, through bandulu generally. And that comes out of this Akan tradition um, that we understand through the figure of Anansi. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. did, I, I don't know if I can speak on it, but can you speak on like um, 
the work of, say, Obia. In right. Of how scammers integrate that in their everyday life, cause I I don't know how up to date you are with like Jamaican music, but like right. songs like Giad Up, you know, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, like, <laughs> are can you speak on that? Um, but how... so this is so this was my point earlier, right? So there's a rising obil, right? There's a rising mm-hmm. obil, um, around the scam or as related to the scam with the increase of the violence surrounding the scam. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it might be good to, you know, so as far as, you know, as far as as what that means. Right. Again, it's about finding resources. Right. No, I think I think what's interesting about this is that younger Jamaicans are turning to right something like Obia as a way of of seeking this kind of advantage or this opportunity. Right. And what that also speaks to is. Um, a similar a similar a similar occurrence to the kind of move away from respectability right as i said earlier right this this notion that you know going to uni and and coming out getting a job right there's a turn away from those kind of post independence or independence ethics right what we can see is that something is happening in a very similar way in terms of of religiosity and christianity specifically Right, Jamaica is a very Christian co- country, and for a whole host of reasons, what we what we know historically is that the practice of obia, right, has been marginalized, right. So something like Rastafarian culture, right, which is perhaps one of the most um, Africa-oriented religious practices in the West, has been by virtue and principle anti-obia for the majority of its existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have to think about that. The fact that Rastafari culture, right? You can think about Capleton's earlier music, turning over the obia man pot, these kinds of things, right? So what you have is you have a, you have a resistance to these Africanist cultures, right? Surrounding the practice of revering both Africanist deities, right? Mm-hmm. And more specifically, what we consider the, the, the kind of science component to Obia, meaning trying to manipulate circumstances through certain rituals, right? But with a, with a, with a turning away, I know maybe turning away is too strong of a, a phrase, right? But with a realization, right, that the church, the Christian church, and w- whichever one, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, seven day or Jehovah's Witness, or we're thinking about, you know, um, the, the kind of Pentecostal or what have you. What you have is, is a recognition that there are other alternatives because of the limits, right? Because of the limits of what these so far or for so long prevailing ideas about what, what religious practice should be. Um, has, has been able to provide, right? So in other words, the church isn't working, so what else will? Now, speaking to the scam itself, the the point I made about the relationship between violence and obia is an important one. Because up until 2012, 2013... Wait, right? wait, it wasn't ex-Christian. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, all right. Well, listen, you know, the, well, first of all, this is a testament to you and, and, and the questions you've come up with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and also the fact that you know you you you've clearly read the book and you know you 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 are getting at the connections between these topics, right? So we tried, you know, we tried. As I said before, you're you're probably looking at somebody. Tell me, yeah, listen, we're small, but you're looking at some of the best researchers you will ever yeah, find. Yeah, no, it's, it's 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 clear. <laughs> it's clear. If the information out there, they will find it. Um, but as I touch on the topic, right? So as I said before, um, that famous song, you know. Right. Them now not going, them now starting a war. But then right. probably around. I think I think around the time I did CXC, so 2016, they wrote, uh, you have like Moby state of emergencies and right. you started to see the connection between scamming and crime and it became extremely right. violent. And you'd be like, yo, all right, this is way bigger than it than that than how it is, and then it's as if it moved away from just the whole notion of reparations, but it's we get way into that. Soon get right. into that. But the 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 the, the touch on the relationship between poverty and scamming, but the relationship between crime and violence and scamming and the role that plays. So I just want to speak about that and then can like go in into like the whole obvious of protecting oneself and the violence, da da da. Right, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, so you know, um you know you pinpoint you know, a kind of the height of the the kind of violence in 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 Mobe, in Saint James, um, you know, seventeen, you know, twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen is when you really start seeing, you know, the kind of the, the peak, if you will, of some of the violence. Now, you know, I I pinpoint a kind of turning point, right, in that around. 2012 2013 we're up until that point right as I, as I told you at the beginning of our of our of our conversation scamming has been around since around 2007 I means this is when we can start really identifying people involved in this particular practice of calling people in foreign and right getting money from them right um 2011 is when i 2011 uh, is when I show up in in you know in in Jamaica to do my research, and as I said to you earlier, people were just around, right? You could go to a Western Union or a MoneyGram, and you could hear scammers on the phone with their victims looking for the MTCN and making sure that it was right. You know what I mean? Like it was it was effectively. Um, Again, I wouldn't call it illegal, but it was an accepted practice. And one thing that I did in my research was I read through all of the uh, articles that came out in the Jamaica newspapers, and I read through all of the comments, the online comments, right, that were available from the earlier point of the first articles about scamming up until around 2013. And in none of those articles could you see any kind of meaningful criticism of the scam. And in none of those articles could you see any kind of structural account of violence as it related to the scam. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, what happens in 2012, right, is you have the kind of the, the, the forming of the you have the forming of the, the major organized crime and anti-corruption agency or MOCA, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who are going around and, you know, 
arresting scammers, confiscating their goods, right? Their computers, their magic jacks, their money, etc. Anything that they couldn't account for, right? Meaning they yeah, can say that time, I have... Wait, and at the time, there was, like, no laws. I know for a good period of time, there was no laws in Jamaica that, like, say, yo, this is illegal. Right? So I know there was, like, issues with arresting people around that time, somehow. There were. So what you had were, you had, like, the Larceny Act, you had the Unlawful Possession of Property Act, and you had the Proceeds of Crime Act. Now, the mm-hmm. problem with that is that none of these actually, none of these actually helped to fully capture what was happening in the, in the scam because the victims were abroad, Right. And so what you could do is, you know, through, like, say, the uh, the Unlawful Possession of Property Act, if you suspected somebody of scamming, you could go in and say, okay, where you get this car from, where you get this computer from, where you get this and that and that from. And if they couldn't demonstrate, right, a kind of proper, um, um, what's the word, right? Yeah, they couldn't document. There's another word I'm thinking about. I can't think of it right now. But if they if they if they couldn't document if they couldn't document where where and how they got this say because they work at this job and this is this is how they could afford to have this car or to have that thing and they were suspected of scamming and one of the things that would would indicate that a scamming operation was happening was actually the magic jack the device that i was telling you about earlier on right so if they had a magic jack that means well okay right they were probably they were probably scamming Especially because the magic jack, right? The magic jack was a device that was largely used by you know middle class people in Jamaica who had family abroad or what what have you, right? Because you had to pay eighty dollars for the magic jack and you had to pay twenty dollars US per month for the service and that kind of thing. So if if your circumstances didn't really seem to kind of match up with the things that you had, they could they could they could take your things from you, right? Um, and so what you had was a lot of that where people, people or scammers, right, were having their things, you know, possessed, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily being, being charged. They might be taken to, to, the, to the jail, they might be interrogated, what have you, but then they were released. So what you had was a process in which, right, there were effectively, in practice, no kind of repercussions for scamming, and it allowed the practice to flourish. Now, what happens is that by 2013, the United States, right, Senate Committee on Aging had convened a meeting. And one of the top things on their list was looking into the 876 scam, as it was called then. Mm-hmm. Because what was, what was happening in the background is that there was a woman in, in Bismarck, North Dakota, right, who was being scammed um, by Laverick Willocks, right? And who Laverick Willocks had gotten his lead list, and therefore the woman's name and information from Sanjay Williams, who we know is one of the you know the first scammer to be extradited and charged in the U.S. Um, and so the FBI began slowly building a case, right, in 2012. And so 2013, the U.S. Senate Committee on Aging um, had convened people like Elizabeth Warren, Senator Bill Nelson, and a variety of other people were involved. And what that did was over the course of that year of 2013, there were external pressure from the US on the Jamaican government, right? To update its laws. Because we can think that if scamming is from from 2007 to 2013, right? 
Mm-hmm. Talking about several years. And let's see what's happening in Montego Bay. Montego Bay, which is a very small city, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now has an Audi dealership and a Jaguar dealership, right? And these kinds. There are things happening in Montego Bay. And so what you realize, right, especially when you start looking at the figures, that scamming in 2011 alone, the year that I got to Jamaica to do my research, brought in 300 million US dollars into the Jamaican economy, oh. right? Mm-hmm. Which is a healthy portion of the kind of tourist, the, the, the kind of tourism oh, revenue yeah. by comparison. Yeah, okay. yeah. So what you see is that there is something actually, you know, advantageous to the scam from a, from a financial standpoint for the country. Right. So, but can um, you pinpoint to the, the 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 raw violence, the raw crime, and why? How did yes. how did I mean lead to that? Like just like bloody the bloodshed that that yes. that makes so, two things. Two things. One is that this pressure and updating of the proceeds of crime act, right? The poker laws in Jamaica, right? You know which helped create the Law Reform Act, right? Uh, or what was called the Lottery Bill, right? Which then allowed for the criminalization of obtaining property or any benefit by any false pretense, right? So you see the different the difference there. Whereas before, you could lie to somebody and get something from them and that wasn't a crime. But they changed that so that you could, you could right? You could criminalize somebody for getting any property or any benefit through false pretense, right? Or inducing somebody to come to Jamaica, right? Uh, as well. So the kind of cash mules who would come to Jamaica to bring the money to the scammers in Jamaica, right? Or say knowingly conducting a false transaction or a financial transaction, right? Uh, for, you know, for illicit means, right? So all these were all of the changes, right? But also what happened, right, were, were the, the, the kind of um, the capacity for Mocha, right? So the major organized crime people, like the police, right, to actually to to arrest and for the, the judicial the judicial system to charge people. So people were getting charged. So what that did was it created it created especially because what they were looking for, who they were targeting, were not just the people who were just doing the calling, but who they targeted were the leadless brokers like Sanjay, right. So what you what happened was you created scarcity in the leadless market, meaning there were fewer names to call. And so what you had were secondary markets of lead lists, right? So if this list, if a list had a hundred names on it, right? You had a variety of, of degrees or qualities of that list. If it was a fresh list, meaning the people on the, on the list had never been called, that was, that was, you know, a much more expensive list than say a secondhand list or a used list, right? But regardless, those lists became more scarce and so what happened is it increased the competition right the other thing that happened was that while a lot of the initial scammers right were who we might consider like casual scammers you know again in the in the beginning stages people who would just have a digital top-up right who would have the kind of uh international calling card on their phone that kind of thing mm-hmm. what happened was that actual gangs who have historically been involved in the guns and drugs trade in Jamaica moved mm-hmm. into lottery scamming. You see, the first thing I want to touch on, right? This song, Cartel featuring, at the time, mm-hmm. Gaza Slim, she's no Vanessa right. Blaine. Um, that song, yeah. Them call it scam, we call it reparations. 
and it's like <laughs> get it no like literally in my young age i was like all right i'm not mad at it because they made very strong right. arguments like that hot song was a whole so that song could have been somebody's dissertation right. literally right. you understand like cartel has a lot of faults i would say <laughs> too much actually but way too much but that song was a whole dissertation and and, and be like yo yeah. Jamaica system and I'm going to put it on a radar here has failed immensely when it comes to asking for reparations. It's like like when I ask when right. one. And I know UE um reparation center where um very mm-hmm. shepherd did a, a whole lot of work and I think Hillary, um Dr. Hillary, he did a couple of things as right. well, Beckles? He did Sir Professor Hillary Beckles, yeah. Yeah, we, we still fail, you know, and um, we know, I think the last time reparations even came up in the major media was during, where the man then here? Where the man here? The man, where the one, you were the local prison. Oh, David Cameron, right. <laughs> yeah, their, their method of, of, of reparations and what they consider reparations, which we still have Andrew up for that because, like, no, like, literally, everybody was, like, clapping Andrew because him turning it down and me like, he never turned it down because he never wanted to prison. He turned it down because, like, Jamaica would have financed right. it. Like, there was no, like, ethic, like, like, whatever, moral standpoint for me, like, yo, right. um, you know right. what I mean? Like, you get, you get me a chance to like, reparations, like, the money, like, something. So, I think we're failing that, failing that venture of asking because they don't ask, you know? So, it's like, I would know pressure. We're like, we're just there. So, it's like, when cartel made an argument about reparations, them call it scam, me call it reparations. Like, c- can you go into details about, like, your from your academic standpoint, the relationship between the two, between scam and right. reparations? And is there a strong argument to say that your scammers are presenting, like, some in- informal method of reparations? Because, yes, we know in the US, like, colonizing about imperialism, mm-hmm. we're still there, we're still having it up. Yeah, so yeah, we could really take a whole other episode talking just about this, right? Um, and and you know, so cartel, so that song, right, came out in twenty twelve, and so it's important to kind of locate that song in terms of the timeline, um, because somebody hearing that song, you know, in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, especially you know, following all of the violence in. In, in, in Mobile would, would say that that don't make any sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, because how does the chorus go, right? As long as I'm not um, uh, starting a war, no bust no gun, right? Bus yeah, war, yeah, and we know that that, that mm-hmm. no longer applies, right? As far as what the scam yep. looks like and what it produces um, over, or what it has produced over the past few years, right? Um, but at the time, Right. Again, by the time Cartel Song comes out in 2012, scamming has been around for a few years. Right. And the the idea of it being reparations is is unique and one that resonated with the scammers who who I worked with Um, because of the reasons that you that you that you've stated. Right. The kind of limits and and the, the failures, if you will, of the Jamaican state. Um, as well as the kind of, you know, global economy of really, you know, securing a future of opportunity for Jamaican people. 
on the other hand, right, what it what it speaks to, right, is a kind of moral universe where there is a question of debt and who owes the debt and what it takes mm-hmm. to to get the debt repaid. Um, and and what what cartel points to, right, is is that remittances are a way to get the debt paid um you know the the fact the the fact of you know um he talks about us dollars right and sterling opens up the possibility that Mm -hmm. it's not just great britain but it's also the united states right that has been complicit in 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 the production of this debt through the kinds of injury and it's exactly right. And this is mm-hmm. and this is what this is what the scammers saw, right? So what was happening? So you mentioned Hillary Beckles. So you know, around that time as well, um, you know, Professor Beckles was was doing some of the early work on uh, setting up the kind of uh, CARICOM Reparations Commission. Um, you know, so there were really serious political efforts um, that I'm pretty sure that cartel was aware of, right? In other words, reparations was in the air. Right. It wasn't just Cartel sitting by himself right. thinking, oh, wow, this is what this thing is. Um, but what it was, was, yes, we have been suffering on the slavery, colonialism and what we could consider the neocolonialism of the IMF structural adjustment. Mm-hmm. And so all of that together, mm-hmm. right, demands, demands recompense. And the way that we are getting it, because the state has failed, right, because the international community has failed, looks like scamming. Right. And so that as as simple as it is, is the kind of argument. Now, how that becomes a little bit more complicated is that when I'm talking to the, the scammers, you know, I didn't come to them and say, hey, listen, you know, what is what is uh what is a scam? Right. Or sorry, like is a scam reparations? Mm-hmm. Right. Because the song came out while I was in the field, while I was doing research, right? Um and so mm-hmm. I was in a conversation with the crew that I was working with and I was trying to get at like what the scam meant to them. Right? Like not just a way of getting money, right? But what does it mean? Like ethically, right? Doing my kind of academic thing. Like what does it mean ethically? Is it good? Is it bad? Right? Is it like how do you how do you understand what you're doing? And one of the responses came back, well, Cartel Natalie. <laughs> right? Is reparations? I was like, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> like, how is that reparations? When I know the people you're talking to are not British people, right? I know you're talking to Americans. And then the most profound response came after that, where one of the guys said, Are they not the same white people? Them are the same white people? And I said, Oh, wow. I said, Wait, let me think about that mm-hmm. for a second. And then from thinking about that, from what was to me a genius kind of meditation on the kind of circumstances of racial political economy, right, as well as global capitalist history, meaning when when the man said to me, are they not the same white people, that whole world opened up for me, right, where it's like, wait, are British whites and American whites the same people? And how does this actually make sense, right, where we know that it's the British who, right, enslaved Black Jamaicans, who colonized Black Jamaicans. But actually, when you think about the 
shifting in the kind of political and economic relationships, right? Um, that Jamaica mm. was in. You see a movement, right, away from Great Britain towards the United States, right? And so there's a relationship of 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 really important political and economic kind of, of, of terms, but also there's a cultural kind of basis by which Americanness becomes a primary way that Jamaicans begin to kind of understand themselves, meaning against which, right? So the United States is the foil against which Jamaicanness is increasingly becoming understood and interpreted. The you know, like Jamaicans began to develop a much more intimate relationship with 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 America, right? Both politically, culturally, mm-hmm. and in all all kinds of ways, and especially in a place like Montego Bay with tourism, right? You know, mm-hmm. you can think about the influence and the kind of encounters that Jamaicans in in Mobe are having with with white Americans who are coming off of the cruise ships, who are staying at the all all inclusive um, resorts on the coast. These kinds of things. Um, you know, so the idea of being able to see and understand what Americans have by comparison to what Jamaicans, especially poor poor black Jamaicans, have, right? It begins to help rationalize that there is an imbalance, right? It helps to rationalize that it is unfair that they have so much and in Jamaica there is so little. And so what it does, it actually opens up and, and, and reconfigures what reparations actually mean, right? It, it, it becomes about more than just the, the, the kind of um, history of slavery or the violence and trauma of slavery, Right. For the scammers, it becomes about the very real and perhaps even more real than slavery everyday encounter of their poverty as it exists within the shadow of American excess and opulence that they see on a regular basis because of tourism, because of consuming American media. Right. And so the relationship between scamming and, and reparations, as far as a kind of ethical idea, means that it allows the it allows the claim of reparations or rather the claim of injury that require reparation to move past just the moment of slavery or just the moment of colonialism. And instead, it allows it to become about the everyday lived experience in the present. Right. Meaning. As a poor black Jamaican, I am poor today, and that is the crime, right? That is the crime that needs repair. And what we can see is that I am poor today because of a history, right, of colonialism and slavery, but you are also rich today by comparison because of a history of colonialism and slavery, right? And even if you weren't necessarily, you know, or your country, so to speak, you know, and it's important that we note that you know the that global economy of slavery and the slave trade was interconnected. There's no such thing as one country being specifically responsible to one set of black people, right? Because it's important to know that before the slaves arrived in Virginia, they were broken in in Jamaica, right, and and other places in the Caribbean. So there's a there's a connection, right? And so what the scamming allows us to understand is that we can actually think about we can think about. The, the kind of broader circuits of injury and, and, and as a result, create a much broader and open and perhaps more just framework of reparations. Um, so, you know, that's part, of, that's part of the relationship between the scam and reparations, right? The other thing is just that there is a much more practical idea about, about how reparations are paid and what reparations look like and what they do. 
So, you know, people who are working on various reparations programs, whether they are, you know, the Caribbean, the, the, the CARICOM Reparations Commission, or whether it's people in, up here in, in the United States who are working on things regarding what does the repair look like, like HR 40, you know, in the, or the Conyers bill here in, um, in the U.S. or now the, the kind of the Booker bill. Um, what those programs are arguing for or asking for are what we call like the collective good kind of reparations, right? We need better health care. We need better, you know, education, right? Very few of them are asking, none of them really are asking for money, right? They're not saying, well, the collective debt, the, the, the value of the collective debt is, you know, two trillion dollars and that needs to be dispersed to all claimants right they're not asking for that what they're asking for are are more you know you know broad comprehensive structural but community oriented programs right now what the scam does is it, it it pulls it pulls that apart and it and it, it asks a really important question if that's what people really want Right. So if you're living with the crime or rather with the injury of the crime of slavery, right, is what you're asking for better educational opportunity or better health care or what have you, when you realize that there are people in your country who have those things already. And the reason why they have those things is because they have money. <laughs> right. So the scammers are effectively making a making a, a, a counterclaim, which is that if you give us money, we will be able to accomplish the things, right, that you are counting as repair. And I saw this firsthand with the crew that I worked with. So they, what they did was they took the money that they earned, and a part of it was, you know, some of this conspicuous consumption that I talked about earlier, right? They bought cars and they bought, you know, quote-unquote nice things. But also what happened was they put their kids into Spanish class or they, they move them from the, from the, you know, the basic school into a private school, right? Or they, they, you know, they did these kinds of things that actually secured some kind of sense of repair. They went and they bought land, right? Perhaps just outside of Montego Bay, right? And they built a house, right? A house that their children can inherit. And so what was most, what was most demonstrative of this is for me, when one of the guys, you know, said, what do I want to go to America for? Now I can I can have anything that I want that America has, and I can have it in Jamaica. And so, what was repaired was actually a whole orientation towards their country and the opportunities that the country could provide for them. Meaning, Jamaica was good enough, but what they lacked was the money, you know. Um, and so, it really does call into question what the kind of you know what we might consider like the kind of you know um, conventional or conservative, but kind of more common ideas of what reparation should look like, more education, more, more healthcare, right? More of these kinds of things where the scammers are saying, listen, if we have money, we can have that anyway. So that's pay me. Mm, yeah. Got you. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> a lot, a lot to think about. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, really, there's a lot to think about. Um, before I go, right, the last, mm-hmm. the last question I have, right, because, That'd be in my mind, you know. So as I said before, scamming it has taken now. It's become very normal. As I said about it, your grand aunt said was just like, you know, scam yeah. up the road. But it's like it's a music thing. I'm not gonna lie to you. You know, sometimes you know, lyric songs sound good. You sing. Right. Um, so it's like it's like a, a different subgenre of music of dancehall mm-hmm. now because I, I think 
the new sound trap hall or whatever they want to call it. Right, it's, right. It's just another, just another, ex- another evolution of dancehall per se. Like music, right. good things. Um, trap hall that term majority of the subjects are about scamming and right. you know i only say glorifying it but singing True. about it and talking about the practices and blah 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 so it's like it's an everyday thing you now that's really much accepted listen when right. you start singing a song you know then it really become accepted you know that cartel right. usually was one who gave you the blueprint if cartel sing about it then it clearly right. become accepted but his circumstances no and da, da, da. but my question to you is the future of scamming do you see this like stopping anytime mm. like sh- like what does the future of scamming in jamaica look like because i think nowhere in its peak but right. like the future do like do you see anything of interest in it no yeah so you know what you have what you have with scamming now is that it's 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 left the kind of um the the kind of influence of the actual practice is no longer relevant right mm-hmm. or the actual practice itself is no longer relevant and instead what scamming has produced and i've said this term a few times throughout our conversation but it's produced a particular or rather it represents a particular kind of ethic that is already in and operating and circulating in jamaican culture right mm-hmm. where the idea in, 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 and what i talk about in the book is that you know again building on the notion that the whole world operates off of crime, right? The other thing that we know, and especially after, say, the presidency of Donald Trump, right, or within the presidency of Donald Trump, that the whole world is also a scam, mm-hmm. right? And we see that more clearly than ever before. And so the idea of holding on to any particular morality, right, is not going to pay dividends, right? And mm-hmm. so the you know so you you're asking a question that has two answers right one answer is about the actual practice of scam, mm-hmm. and I think what will happen with that as it has happened with that as more and more people begin to you know you know or continue to be, to be arrested and tried and so forth the actual practice itself will in many ways recede and it has receded, right mm-hmm. I mean like I told you you know, in 2011 2012 2013 where you could just see people scamming. You don't have it anymore. It's become a different kind of practice. But what scamming has done is it, it's, it, has, it has given a kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's given a kind of voice, but what it's done is it, is it has represented a particular kind of ethical ideal in Jamaican society. And it's not the first practice that has done that. We can go back and think about what was happening around the kind of advent of dance hall, right? You can go and read Carolyn Cooper's work, right? And and, and, and Sonia uh, Stanenaya's work about the rise of slackness and so forth and what that was speaking to and what was happening in Jamaican mm-hmm. society at that time that produced dance hall, right? You can go back and look at that in regards to what was happening in the late 60s and early 70s to late 70s around, mm-hmm. you know, around the kind reggae of Rastafarian Orient's reggae music, right? You know, they, yeah. the, you know, so Rastafarianism, for example, was a practice that had a height in Jamaica, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's just become a part of the landscape, if you will. But what Rastafarianism did as a cultural practice, and so I'm calling scamming for, for the purposes of my argument here, a cultural practice, right? Mm-hmm which is that Rastafarianism and scamming were responding to circumstances on the ground in Jamaica, right? Like, we should agree about that at least, right? Mm -hmm. 
But what Rastafarianism produced for a time, right, was a particular kind of ethic that Jamaicans were responding to, right? One of pride, one of resistance, one of these kinds of, you know what I mean, that were appropriate given the moment that it emerged out of, right? Meaning emerging out of independence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have other people like Delroy Wilson's Better Must Come, 1971, right? That spoke to a kind of, you know, insurgent belief in self-determination. And you know uh, why you touch on that? Not, yeah. not about you. But I'm glad you bring that up. Because, yeah. you know, that came out in 71. Yeah. Manly used it as the slogan for the PNP yeah. campaign in 72. Right. Then you had Daddy One with the whole bro God mess of right. 2018. And then Andrew Holness pick it up. Yes, see? Right. It repeat itself. But it's fine. Yeah. I write my paper. And <laughs> it doesn't. And you're, and, you're really, and you're really brilliant to pick up on that because what, what it represents, right, is, is a kind of um, urgent aspiration for the kind of world that is being sought. Now, mm-hmm. what has happened, though, with a lot of Jamaican music Right is instead of necessarily, you know, trying to imagine a world to come. Right, Jamaica music has, on balance, represented the world as it is. Right, and so the rise of dancehall, for example, comes about post-structural adjustment. Right, so if you if you if you compare what dancehall was about compared to the reggae music, right, of the 1970s. Both of these musics were, were, were speaking to a different set of political and economic circumstances. One was about the promise of independence and the promise of black uplift, right, meaning reggae music. Dance hall came in, right, at the point where we, what we were living in, right, was a world of increasing consumption, increasing individualism, an orientation towards America and American ethics and American norms of what aspiration should look like, right? Which was an abandonment in Jamaican society or Jamaican culture of the notion of respectability. And this is what the people who I mentioned earlier, right? Like Carolyn and and and, and Sonia and, and and Deborah, right, have have you know tracked in their in their work. And so what I'm arguing in my book, right? is that scamming is yet another one of those moments, right? Mm -hmm. Scamming has said, well, actually, right, we've moved away from, you know, so I talk about in the book how, you know, say post-independence, right, it was about, you know, romance, right? I'm using the work of another Jamaican uh, anthropologist, David Scott here um, in his book, uh, which is really great. um, Small Axe. Small Axe, yeah. Right, so David Scott, you know, traces from what we might consider a kind of pre-independence to post-independence. Right, this kind of notion of, you know, uh, the a politics of romance pre-independence to a kind of politics of tragedy, right? Mm-hmm. Post-independence, right? And so what you have is you have the early reggae music being a part of that romantic aspiration of what Jamaica can be, right, etc. Dancehall comes in and represents the tragedy of the Jamaican political landscape, right? meaning we had a decade of, 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 of possibility, right? And by the 80s, right, by the rise of dancehall, what we've realized are the limitations of that promise. Mm-hmm. So in the book, right, I take it one step further from, from, from David, right, building on the same, same literature that he's, that he's referencing, and I say what comes after tragedy is actually satire, right? And so what the scammers wow. are doing is they're taking a satirical read of the world, mm-hmm. right? 
meaning it you know meaning scammers and and Jamaican society as represented by the scammers is no longer invested in the idea of what Jamaica should be or could be but instead it is about the individual and what the individual can have and what the individual can do mm-hmm. right and the reason why that is is because actually we understand or they understand right that the world is just a scam and so what one does can only be understood through a satirical framework right meaning there's a recognition of the falsehood behind it and so when you recognize that the world as it is is structural on the basis of falsehood you have no choice right but to accept it and instead of trying to change it you work within it and this is what the scammers did oh you want us to work in a call center no worries oh wait you're only going to pay us a dollar an hour no that's not going to work. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the exact same things that you gave me to do as a, as a call center worker, and I'm going to apply them differently, and I'm going to make proper money off of it. Because, right? uh, exactly. listen, David, let me ask you this question. I'm going to put it to you this way. Mm-hmm. Call centers have been in Jamaica for some time, and they've done very little to uplift Jamaican people economically, yet scammers took the same exact practices that Jamaicans were trained to do in a call center. Mm-hmm. The same exact things. And in one year alone, they brought $300 million into the Jamaican economy. You so what does why? that tell you? <laughs> you see why I did say in the beginning stage. <laughs> I did say, like, yo, I did sit on the wrong in the beginning stage. Right. But as I said before, I was young. I was like 13, 14, and looking at life a different way. I was like, yo, like, we didn't have really given the other options but two. You understand? There was no other options but to. And that's the problem in Jamaica. There's limited opportunities. And you see, when you give people things and, you know, apply it right. properly, you're not going to find somewhere for the do Absolutely. Things. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? And, and, and what, it, what, it, what it tells you is this, that Jamaican people are capable. Mm-hmm. If given the correct tools. If and given, given the a- correct... And, and so what we realize is that the reason why we're not given the correct things or the opportunities is because that's the way the system is set. Mm-hmm. I understand. And so when you, when you, when you, you know, there's a, there's a section in the book where I'm talking to the guy named Junior. and look at me, a man with intelligence. How come I can't get ahead? Look at me, even though I don't have no subjects. Look at, I'm a man with intelligence. How come I can't get ahead? Now, what Junior recognizes, is that regardless of what he does, if he got to church, don't go to church, right? If you got to school, don't go to school. Regardless of what happens, chances are the system will not work for his benefit because it is designed to work that way. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you realize that, what do you do? You take a satirical approach. You say, ah, let me do this in a way that's going to benefit me, right? Oh, let me I not actually become invested in this system let me not become invested in this project of the kind of political notion of sovereignty or freedom because you know what we've been talking about freedom too long and guess where we are still poor ah uh, that you and and yeah. whoa <laughs> that's poor. a lot of things to say yeah yeah, say, yeah 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 no there's a lot of things and i will say this you know at some point in the future at some point in the future you can get another email from me saying yo we are invited back at some point. Okay, I'd love to. I'd love to. This has been this has been such a wonderful start to this year. Uh, I'm really grateful for the chance to, to to reason with you. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I would say this. It's 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 kind of 
amazing to see how things come full circle because now i mean scamming culture has become like integrating society now everybody you know chopping and bricks right. and western union in you know, a vocabulary like way right. too much bang on right. food like right. it is is like yo 10 years i'm now looking back at this you know case study a whole lot of case study because i know yeah, like that's right one of the things with jamaica is like when it, if you want to like you know study violence in the western hemisphere it's always jamaica you come so to right. see um yeah. more persons do studies on jamaica and to integrate scamming because usually it was like guns and drugs and tivoli gardens and mm-hmm. and, and political violence in the 70s but no this is going to be like a different case to, to see of how jamaica um crime shifted right right um, the only person who really can blame is you know people like me who are in poor because Limited opportunities, so right, you know, yeah, but, and that's why you know, going back to struggling in the periphery, you know, there's um, you know, Norman Garvan, you know, the the economist, the Jamaica, yeah, the Jamaican yeah, economist, yeah, you know, invest in peace, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, him and the plantation school, right, the New World Group, you know, they call this thing mm-hmm. the rules of the game, right, mm-hmm. and meaning like. From plantation times, the thing was set this way, right? And mm-hmm. and we have to, and this is why, and you know, what would be great if you know if I if I come back, I want to talk to you all about suffocation, right? As a kind of thing, because um, you know, that's really at the at the foundation of this, right? There's a way that the world is actually set, and it's set on the terms of suffocation and operates on this on the basis of suffocation, and and what that looks like is is Jamaica's political economic circumstances where even those in power right mm-hmm. are are limited and set onto a track right meaning there's a track that is difficult to break away from and it requires a very radical approach and the problem is that we haven't had you know perhaps we haven't had leaders who are willing to be as radical um as they need to be because it does require a revolutionary standpoint and even even um Dr. Govan had critiques about the seventies and organizing right. and the whole fifteenth of December movement right. during the seventy six election. Exactly. I know there's a whole lot of critique about that, you know, and spaces for radicalism to get change in Jamaica. So Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> but oh, a long episode. Thank you, Dr. Lewis, for coming on. Um definitely Yeah, my definitely pleasure. My pleasure. Like, everybody go read it. If you can, yeah, and, and if you want to read it and you want to buy a copy, you know, from the book press, um, there is still a code for forty percent off. We will have it on our website. Oh, you will? Okay, so you know, April. So we will have it there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good till April. It's good to April. Right. Right. Yeah, media.com. Just go to whichever episode this is. Sometimes things change, and then it will be there. Everything will be there. Really, I try to make things in one place and easy for people to get access. So yeah, Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to close out with Protégé and Mortimer because I don't know we'll get new songs for the season. So yeah, enjoy yourself, work good and great. Right over my look over here. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Babylon will